0: Yo, yo, welcome back to episode two of Fiction or Nah. Last week, we had a pretty creepy story. It was especially creepy when you find out that it was true. So, yeah, it wasn't fiction. Last week, it was a story about... Um, a text from the grave. A grandchild received a text message from grandma, who had passed away some time before. Um, so the way I did it, and the way I'm going to continue to do it, is I'm going to write a longer version of the story. I'm going to write. I'm going to add some stuff in to make the story, you know, make it make the story a little bit more punchy. You know what I mean? But the premise of the story remains intact. So, here's the thing. The grandchild got the text message from the grandmother, and the grandchild was like, "What?" <laughs> and then they thought that the grandma was like, "Yo, be chill, I'm good. I'm watching over you what whatever you know, and um, I don't know if they freaked out or if they found peace in it. I don't know for me personally i would have didn't I would have done both um but So after a while, after the story broke, the cell phone company uh, revealed that the grandma's phone number had been given to somebody else, to a new customer. And in the end, it was just a customer trying to make the grandchild feel better because the grandchild was, in fact, texting the number, like I said in the story. So, yeah, it was true. But it turns out cell phone company had repurposed the number. Even though they buried grandma with the phone. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, it's still kind of creepy if you think about it. Because it was it, was it really the person who got the number that text that texted the the grandchild? Or was it grandma, you know, working from beyond the grave and and, you know, and looking out for her grandchild. You never know. Unless you ask the person who had the number. But we can't, because I don't know who that is. All right. So. Let's go into our next story of fiction or non. It had been a long summer day already. The sun was beaming and John's skin was getting cooked. Though it wasn't his responsibility, he loved helping in the big garden that spanned three acres of land. His only problem with it all was that the owner never helped, never even showed his face. He often thought about why the owner, an able-bodied 70-something man, never showed his face in the garden. He would only watch from the big bay window of his big house on the hill while all of his neighbors did the work. John assumed it was because all the neighbors were allowed to pick vegetables anytime they wanted and as much as they wanted without question or concern from the owner. This was the only thing that kept everyone from withdrawing their helping hands. On this particular day, the owner stood in the bay window staring down the hill at the people in his garden but after a few hours, John started to feel a strange sensation watch over him. He couldn't explain it, but he felt a sense of doom and gloom over him. Sarah, one of the other neighbors, told him to sit down and have some water in the shade. She assumed John's condition was brought on by the heat. John obliged, but his mind couldn't let the dark vibe go. He needed to know what was causing the feeling. Every day, that dude stands up there in that window, Same clothes, same look on his face. What the hell's wrong with him? He asked Sarah. Well, he gives us free food. I haven't bought a vegetable in years, so maybe he's just overly nice. That or he's scared to come outside and stop us. Has anybody ever talked to him? You didn't when you started coming here? Nope. Phil told me about this place. Told me the old man didn't care, so I didn't have to ask him. Phil told me that too. I don't think anybody here has spoken to him. Outside of Phil? Right. John got up from the truck bed that he rested on and walked over to Phil, who was just sitting down under a tree to have a beer. Sarah followed him. Phil, John said. When's the last time you spoke to the old man? Oh, you don't like to talk. Neither do I, but I'm just curious. Uh, shit. I say about eight, nine years ago. Why? Well, I've only been here a few months, but every time I come here, he stands in that window. Same clothes, same look on his face. Every single time. It's like he never moves. Right, Sarah added. Same here. He's been there, same clothes and everything, since I moved here. That was almost four years ago. And that ain't right, man. Same clothes, same look on his face, same window? You don't think that's weird? John asked. Well, I'd say if it's bothering you so much, why don't you go up there and talk to him? Maybe I will. Sarah, you wanna come? Sure, why not? I'd like to thank him anyway. By the time everyone was done in the garden, the sun had just gone down beyond sunset. The area was darkening quickly and the forest critters were starting to stir. Phil was long gone, As the oldest person working in the garden, he had plenty of help in filling his five-gallon bucket. He often left well before anyone else. John and Sarah stood at John's truck as everyone left the garden. When the last car's taillights disappeared from sight, John turned and looked up the hill at the big house. The old man still stood in the window. For the first time, John took a really good look at the old man. John noticed that the old man's eyes were wide open. His arms hung at his side. He had great posture. Ready? Sarah asked John, shocking him out of his trance. Yeah, I think so. John responded. Sarah and John walked up the hill to the big house. John's eyes never left the old man. The old man's eyes never left his garden. John thought it was weird, but he didn't bring it up to Sarah. He didn't want to freak her out. Once they made it to the porch, they noticed that the porch looked unkempt. It was falling apart in every corner, and there was a faint smell that turned their stomachs. They both considered turning back, but it would be rude to turn back at this point, right? John knocked on the door. After waiting a few moments, he knocked again. After no one answered the door the second time, he decided to go around the house to the bay window to see if the old man was still there. When John reached the side of the house, he saw the old man still in the window. He still stared down at his garden. John gestured to him to try to get him to go to the door. The old man just stood there, staring at his garden. John went back to the porch, where Sarah still stood. Was he there? Sarah asked. Yeah, but he didn't even look at me, John said. What? That's... Yeah. Sarah reached out and grabbed the doorknob. Before she could turn it, the door squeaked open. Hmm. Wasn't closed, Sarah said. They walked inside the house slowly and carefully. They both pulled their shirts up over their noses. The smell was strong inside the house. We should go, John whispered. We're in here, he knows we're here, Sarah whispered. Sir, she called out. They walked through the house until they reached the bay window where the old man still stood, unmoving. Sir, Sarah said. The old man didn't move. He continued to stare out of the window. John walked up to the old man and put his hand on his arm. The man's arm didn't budge when John touched it. Sir, John said. John stepped around to look at the front of the old man. The old man never averted his gaze from the garden. John waved his hand in front of the old man. Still nothing. He put his hand on the old man's chest and tapped him. The old man started to fall backwards, but John caught him and stood him upright. The old man's body was stiff as a board and far lighter than a person of his size should have been. What the hell is going on, John? Sarah asked, her voice trembling. I, I-, I don't know, John replied. It is an obvious, a familiar voice asked. John and Sarah turned in unison to see Phil standing across the room, a rifle in his hand. Phil, what the hell is this? John asked. You're trespassing. Don't you know that's against the law? Phil? Sarah started. Sarah, I just want you to know there are no hard feelings. Phil raised his gun. Sarah ran, just barely dodging the first shot. John was not so lucky. He was hit in the chest with the shot and fell back against the bay window before sliding down to the floor, his blood streaking down the window behind him. Sarah ran outside the house. When she reached the yard, she found herself in the middle of a crowd of people, the same people from the garden earlier. They all had wild looks on their faces. She put up a good fight, but the overwhelming number of people in the crowd was too much for Sarah. Several months later, Wilson moved into the small village of Baker. The first person he met there was a man named Phil. Phil told him of a garden where everyone in the village got their vegetables from. Phil told him that there were many people who worked in the garden and kept it going. He also told him that the garden belonged to a couple. Their names were John and Sarah. And though they never spoke to anyone, they loved to stand in their bay window and cherished the fact that they were able to feed an entire village. So is it fiction, or nah? No? Tune in next week to find out. Welcome back to the episode. This is episode two of Fiction or No? Let's talk about writing. So I just want to talk real quick about what do you do when you start writing a novel? I get this a lot. I get this question a lot. How do you start writing? Like I tell people, oh, I'm a writer. They look at me and they say, how do you do it? Like, how do you sit down and write a whole book? Well, first you got to start. And then I get asked, how do you start? And I'm like, <laughs> my favorite part of the book is starting. And that's because I love to build my protagonist. And that is how you start. Any story. Before you start writing. You should be building your protagonist. In my case. Okay. The book I'm getting ready to write. It's going to feature. Mostly black characters. Um, there won't be all black characters. Because it's not realistic. But mostly black characters. Um But. My main character, who I guess I could call him my protagonist because he's my main character, but he's the bad guy in the story also. So it's kind of like. He's the antagonist, I'm gonna be honest, he's the antagonist, but he's the main character because I like the character that I made. Um, but basically, you build a story around your protagonist, not your antagonist, your protagonist, you build a story around them. It, 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 it is what it is. So even in my new story, even though my main character is not the protagonist. I still have to build the story around the protagonist, because in the end. You need to at least make your audience feel like your protagonist is going to win. But let me ask you this, though. If you have a protagonist. Fighting an antagonist, right. And let's say your antagonist is a shadow. If you put. The protagonist and an antagonist in a dark world. Who who, who does the audience automatically think is going to win? The antagonist. Protagonist can't even see him. He's a shadow. So you need your world to look like your protagonist. Right. So then when you when you take everything away from that protagonist, then you can make it dark. You can make it a different kind of world. But it's still the protagonist's world. It's still the world that the protagonist was in. So I'm going to use this as an example. In The Flash. I don't know if you watch the show or not, but just hear me out. In The Flash, CW show by DC. The Flash lives in this bright city, right? The city, usually he does all his work in the daytime. Um, The city's busy. A lot of people, people you know it's just it's just bright it's it's lively okay and that's the flash's world however when a when an antagonist enters the show it's usually a dark time when the main antagonist enters the show flash stops pretty much everybody in the daytime but when somebody shows up at night he usually loses that's not his world the darkness is not his world and that's a sign that something bad is happening Because things have gone dark. For him. You hear what I'm saying? And then. Here's another thing. It was such a big deal. In the show Arrow. I'm going to keep it in the same area. In the show Arrow. It was such a big deal. When Oliver Queen. Decided to. Let the world know. He's the Green Arrow. When he did this. It was daytime. At night. He was in that mask because that was his world. Your protagonist in that show was a nighttime vigilante. He didn't want the publicity. He didn't want to be seen. He just wanted to get the job done at night. And he was killing people and it was crazy. But then as soon as he starts operating in the daytime, he's no longer killing people. You know, he's no longer he's no longer sought after by the cops as much. He's no longer. Vi- he's no longer a victim. Every time you turn around. You know what I'm saying? At nights, though, everything's dark. Like he's he's mean, he's aggressive, he's killing, he's brutally injuring people. It's just crazy. Batman. Nighttime, Superman, daytime, lively city. Batman's city is dark and grimy and infested. So you got to think about your protagonist. You take your protagonist and you build your world around them. The world doesn't come first. Because if the world comes first, let's take Batman. Let's take Batman because Batman's one of my favorite superheroes. So if you take Batman and you build his world first, all right? So you take Batman, pop him out, throw him to the side. Build Gotham first. So you're going to say, well, it's a big city, it's a metropolitan, you know, let's build a big city. Big city, you think lots of buildings, taxis, uh, business people, a lot of people walking down the street really, really, really quickly, like New York, basically New York, right? That's what you think of New York, Chicago, whatever. But then you take Batman, who is still exactly Batman, and you stick him in New York, right? Downtown New York, New York. What? How does that make sense? It doesn't make sense yet. It doesn't make sense yet. It's about to make sense. Now, take New York. Turn off the lights. Everything goes dark. The people who were walking on the street super fast, they're gone. Replace them with prostitutes, drug dealers, and gang members. Take those very nice, shiny buildings and condemn some of them. Crack the foundations, break some glass, put out some yellow tape, make a chalk outline on the ground. But keep the, but keep the place the same. Just do those cosmetic changes to it and swap out those people. Now, insert Batman. There's Batman's world. That's Gotham. That's what you have. You can't build a city before you build Batman. You got to have Batman first so you know what that city looks like. Batman won't exist in a city like New York because New York is is fine. The police have it. They, they handle it. You know, it's not always the best decision, but they don't need Batman. <laughs> but, but that run-down Gotham-looking New York, that needs Batman. So Batman needs Gotham as much as Gotham needs Batman. That's basically how you start a novel because you always want to start your novel with the setting and the protagonist. And if you don't start with the protagonist, it's fine. You can start with the antagonist, but you need to start with that setting though. I was told by a professor who has had a book published before. I don't remember what the name of the book was, had a book published traditionally, told me that when you start writing a novel, the best thing you can do is to start With a setting. Because when you start with a setting, you know where people are. However, in order to start with a setting, you need to know your protagonist. Because if your protagonist doesn't fit in that setting, the story was is not going to be relatable. People are not going to feel like it's it's right. It's not going to register in the mind correctly. Here's another way I can explain it to you. Take yourself and stick yourself in a world that you've never been to. So basically, okay, here you go. Take yourself. And if you were born in the South, stick yourself in New York. So if you're, if you're born in the South, raised in the South, take yourself out of that. You've never been to the South, but you're still exactly who you are. Put yourself in New York. How do you feel about that? Do you feel that that's, that that's, um, a good fit. Do you feel like everything is right with the world in that situation? No, you don't. And it's perfectly normal for you not to feel that way and see. And when you do that, it gives you another option later on to make the objective for your protagonist harder because you can take the protagonist, insert them into the antagonist's world, and then it becomes a new obstacle for the protagonist to overcome. And so let's once again, Take Batman and let's take let's take also Superman and let's make them enemies. Cause, you know, for a split second they were. Let's make them enemies. Batman's from Gotham, Superman's from Metropolis, Superman's from that actual New York. Batman is from the upside downs version of New York. Gotham. So look at Superman. He's colorful in this blue and red, you know, standing up there with his hands on his hips and the swoosh in front of his face you know the little swoosh of hair right there on his forehead he's standing there you know looking all big and proud batman is crouched on a gargoyle on top of a building staring down at the thugs right you can't put them in each other's world and expect like okay you can't put superman in gotham and expect him to beat batman at night you can't put batman in metropolis and expect superman And expect Batman to beat Superman in the daytime in Metropolis. In reality, Batman shouldn't be able to beat Superman at all. Unless he's wearing the whole suit of Kryptonite. However, you give Batman that edge in Gotham because that's Batman's home. Batman knows that home because that home was built for him. Superman don't know nothing about that. Superman's from Metropolis. Happy-go-lucky. Metropolis. You see what I'm getting at? So then you take Green Lantern. Green Lantern was an Earthling, yeah, but where's Green Lantern's home base? It's on another planet, man. He's working with little purple people. And he's colorful himself. Like, I can go on and on about this stuff, but I think you understand by this point what I'm getting at. How do you start writing a novel? By creating your protagonist and then building a world around the protagonist. That's how you start. Hope you enjoyed that. That's uh the gym for the day on the writing. Now let's dive on in to the conspiracy. All right, so I'm going to keep it all the way real with y'all on this one. Area 51 has always been a place of interest for me. I don't know what's going on in Area 51. I have no clue, but... I've always believed that there is an area where there are aliens and alien technology. Is it area 51? I don't know, man. I really don't know. But here's what I think, right? Cause we all know the conspiracy of area 51 is that they have aliens there. Here's what I, here's what I, I want to believe. I want to believe that there are aliens in area 51. However, I also want to believe that those aliens are good. And if they're not good, they're dead. And the reason why I say that, and it may sound a little harsh, but the reason why I say that is because if they're if they're good aliens, then they're helping us advance. But if they're bad aliens and they want us to die and we're just keeping them hostage. Eventually, something could go wrong. They could get out. We could be dead like it it just is what it is nobody I don't I don't see why anybody would want to take the chance like there's no reason to take that chance but I do hope that if they're good they're not doing anything to like torture them or do any stupid stuff like that you know I, I just really don't want people to treat visitors from another planet that way like I would, I would graciously host an alien in my house if they were like good, legit, you know, nice, whatever. I I would graciously do it, and I would be asking mad questions. I'm in there like, yo, so what does your world look like, and can I go? Would I survive if I went? How fast can you travel through space? I need to know. I'm curious. Like I would, I would be asking all the types of questions, and we would be getting along just fine. Like, I don't know, man. I feel I feel like the government just keeps a lot of things from us that they shouldn't. And I do feel like aliens and alien technology is one of those things. They know we want to know. Right. They know we want to know. All the presidents know once they get in office, they all know that there are aliens here. If there are aliens here, they all know it. They won't tell us, but they know. But, yeah, I I just feel like even with with Roswell, you know, let me throw Roswell in this thing, too. Roswell, New Mexico. The crash happens. You know, they say I think it was what? Two bodies were pulled from the wreckage. And I think one was alive. I think I think it was something like that. Man, listen, if that's true, which I, I believe it is, if it's true, something is definitely definitely a because i want to know where they come from i want to know why they're here i want to know are they good or evil and i want to know why our government hasn't told us like why not make it official you want people to just continue to think that there are some people out here wearing tinfoil hats and and just making up stuff like no man no this big ass universe you want us to think that this whole universe has nobody else in it. There are no more people in it. Okay, now. Let's really get into it. If we going to talk about, it, let's talk about it. If we going to talk about it. There are people a part of certain religions that believe we are the only beings in the universe. It's just us. It's just us. There ain't nobody else. Okay? There ain't nobody else. It's just us. So if it's just us, why does the rest of the universe exist? If it's just us, why isn't Earth, sun, and moon the only things in the universe? Why are there other galaxies? Why are there other stars? Why are there other planets? Why is there space at all? Why isn't this, why isn't it just us? You know what I'm saying? If 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 it's nothing else out there, why isn't it just this one rock? We to be totally honest, if it's 100% created by God and everything. Why didn't and and yeah, it sounded like I'm questioning God, but I'm not. OK, so don't 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 go into that mess with me. OK, don't don't do this. OK, I was I was raised in the church. But why is it if we're the only beings of intelligence in the universe? We're the only beings, I should say, all the creatures on this planet are the only beings in the universe. Why are there more things in the universe? Why does it, why? Why does even the moon exist? Why does the sun exist? Why not just Earth? If God didn't want anything else in this world in this universe why didn't he just make the earth and then you know with the snap of a fingers with the snap of his fingers he can make a day he can make a night he could just put us on a timer where the day comes at a certain time the night comes at a certain time nature's just a thing that is in motion no science is involved whatsoever why is Why isn't that the case? Why isn't that the case? Why does science exist? Why are there other places out there in the universe? If we're the only ones here, that makes no sense. That makes no sense at all. God don't make mistakes. Right. That's what I've been told my whole life. Right. Okay. So why are there other planets? And they said, well, the Bible don't say nothing about no people coming down here. You know what I'm saying? Well, The Bible is supposedly only for certain people. Not everybody in the world has even had the opportunity to read the Bible. So why would the Bible tell us something about people across the universe who we will never see? Why would the Bible even say something about that? What would be the purpose? Why would God even tell us that there are other beings in the universe that can never reach us? Why would he tell us? We're never going to see it. It's a waste of time. We probably just spend our entire existence on trying to reach those people across the universe, even though we've been told we'll never be able to reach them like that's because that's just human nature. So what would be the purpose? Of him telling us about them. That's why it's not in the Bible. That's why it's not something that anybody of religion has ever been told. That aliens exist. You know what I'm saying? Because if every religion is on the money, or not every, if if Christianity is on the money, the Bible is on the money. In that case, then we wouldn't know about them and they wouldn't know about us, but we would both have the same Bible basically. We both had the same kind of book that we follow. And it would be similar stories, most likely, because you know, we just that's just how it is. It's human nature. But who says they're even human? Like, I don't know, man. I just feel like there are aliens and they're being covered up. I feel like it's 100% sure that there are aliens and they're being covered up. And, 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 and I feel like we are not from Earth. I feel like we are from Mars. I feel like Mars used to be a place full of life, you know, teeming with this stuff. And then we came here. We came here because we um, destroyed Mars. There was something that happened. Either we destroyed it or an asteroid hit it or something. Something happened and Mars was no longer habitable. And so now we're here. And honestly, there could still be people on Mars. They could be living in caves caverns you know underground there could be a hidden ocean somewhere they could be in it you know anything but i think that there's still there's still some sort of creature on mars even if it's just bacteria there's something alive on mars like i i think it's a very strong possibility that there's something alive on mars and i also think that there's a strong possibility there's something alive on venus but we're gonna tackle that another day that concludes the episode. I hope you guys tune in next week on Wednesday to catch whether or not that whole story was fiction or not nah, because it is a doozy of a story. And I hope you tune in again to hear the next story and the next tidbit of writing and the next conspiracy. You guys can hit me up on Twitter at epicrainkj that's e p i c r e i g N K J, to let me know if you have a set a special conspiracy that you would like for me to tackle, or if you have any questions about writing that you would like for me to tackle. I would love to answer your questions on writing. I would love to do that for you. I would also love to talk about any conspiracy that I've never heard of before. I've heard of a lot, but there's a lot I haven't heard of. Like I still get hit with something. I'm like, what? But yeah, just hit your boy up. Let me know. You can find me on Twitter at epicrainkj. You can find me on Instagram at epicrainkj. You can find me on Facebook at epicrainkj. You can find me on YouTube at epicrainproductions. I'm out here. You feel me? You can find You can even find me on PlayStation Network at epicrainkj. I'm everywhere. I'm everywhere. Where am I not at? I don't even know. I don't even know where I'm not at. I'm everywhere, legitimately everywhere. You can find me, dude. That's my my US impression. Yeah, um, I'm done. I'm done. I think. Oh, my and my wife's podcast, Bookish Impulses. Uh, we talk about books and bookish things, and we are soon gonna be dropping another episode, featuring of mice and men. Because she finally read it after all these years of me trying to get her to read it. So, yeah, you guys, I'm out. Thanks again for listening. I really appreciate you guys. Um, it's one love always. OK, we are here. docious.